Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, it's good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. The small things are important. For example, some of us struggle with our faith because we kind of get started on the wrong first small step. How many of you know that God is good? Do you know that everything that God does flows from his goodness, from love, from the understanding that he loves you so much he does good things for you? In fact, he is so good to us that sometimes to preserve the goodness toward us, he has to stand against us because he's good and he wants the best for us. Now, some people live their lives with the understanding and the process and the thought process that God is just there to take them out or they could never please God or, or, or God has got this, this set of rules and things that we can never live up to and, and God isn't on my side, but God actually is against me. And understand this, beloved, that's not true. The foundational piece of our faith is the understanding that God is good. If you believe that God is good, then everything he brings into your life, he can use to bring out that goodness. I want to encourage you, don't despise the small things. Our faith is not just built on the mountaintops. It's built in the valleys, and it's also built on everything in between. Consistency. Paul calls our race a marathon. It's not a sprint. So focus on his goodness, those small things. They lead to big things. Good to see everybody this morning. I'm TJ. I'm the lead guy here. Uh, it's exciting to be here. Those of you that are online, welcome. We're glad that you decided to connect with Trinity this morning. So many smiling faces from the beach. I can always tell those of you that have been out in the sun just a little too long. You got the sunglass eyeball thingies. You look like raccoons. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you look, you know, some of you don't tan. Some of you go from white to red and then back to white again, and you know who you are, right? But it's good to see everybody with us here today. Uh, We are in the middle of a series called I Am, looking at Jesus, who he is through his own words. It's been exciting. Um, Last week, uh, Brother Rob uh, spoke and did a great job. I didn't know that, that Jesus was a southerner, but apparently he was from southern Jerusalem, I guess. I don't know how that works out, but, it, but apparently it does. I got to tell you this. This is something that's interesting to me. God does things in seasons. And in this season of Trinity, God is bringing people and awakening people's hearts that is just not common, I think, in all houses. God has brought us some phenomenal teachers. God has brought us some remarkable Worship leaders and worship people, remarkable people in every part of of the facets of who Trinity is. And you want to hear the best part about all that? You are one of them. You are part of the remarkableness of who we are as a church. God does not do that for no reason. Something is coming, beloved, and we need to just be ready to embrace what he has for us. Uh, We were down in the beach this week, and we were in the, uh, you know, we went to some of the amusement parks, the old amusement parks by Ocean City, Maryland, and by Rehoboth. Part of the, of the adventure of getting on those rides is, are those rides going to make it to the end of your ride? You know what I'm talking about? You see duct tape in places, you're like, I know duct tape's remarkable, but is it meant to hold stretch together to hold up thousands of pounds? You know, and, and I remember, you know, when you get in those things, what do they tell you? The same thing all the time. Keep all your hands, keep everything in the ride at all times. That's where we're moving as a church. We don't make the tracks. We don't. We keep our hands in the ride at all times, and we, we embrace what God's doing. Just like you got to hold on to that bar because you don't know where it's going to go. If you hold on to Jesus like that in the middle of the ride, you're going to be okay. 
That's where we are. So hold on. Keep your hands inside, your hands and your feet inside the car at all times. And see what he's about to do. So we've been talking about Jesus being I am, who he is to us. I was reminded um, when it comes to defining Jesus, um, all of us struggle sometimes with who we are and the world trying to define us. Um, a few years ago, I told you the story. I had back surgery. About four years ago, I was getting to a place to where, um, you know, through abuse of sports and all that stuff, I was losing the ability to stand and walk. Uh, your world changes when you, you lose certain things that you take for granted. So I went to the doctor. They figured some stuff out. I needed surgery. And uh, I had surgery. It was brutal. They said that my, instant, you know, my immediate recovery is going to be two to three months, but really my full recovery is going to be measured more in years. So I was about four weeks out of my surgery. I was just starting to become human again, and I got a call from one of my friends in, in, in Denver. His son had passed away. We'd been friends for a long time, so I asked Steve. I said, Steve, what do you need? He said, I need you. So I called my doctor up. I said, man, i got to get to Denver. And he said, absolutely not, because you can't fly. I said, is it a pain issue, or am I going to do damage to my back? He said, you can't damage it. You've got metal in you now. He said, it's a pain issue. So if it's just pain, I'll, we'll make it work. So I jumped on a plane, and I headed out to Denver and was there for, for my buddy. And uh, while I was there, my, my daughter, Tori, was finishing up school at uh, uh, Northern Colorado University. And how many of you know you can be a very godly person, do all the things that Jesus asked you to do, but every one of us has buttons sometimes that bypasses the godliness of who you are. It just happens every once in a while. Now, one of those things for us as men as protectors is you can kick me around all day. Do not mess with my children, especially the cute girl ones, right? So Tori had mentioned something to me. She says, Dad, I've been having some problems with this older guy who'd been saying some things that are inappropriate, blah, blah, blah. And again, I'm coming right out of surgery, but something is surging through my veins. I'm like, well, this should not be. I happen to be in Denver, so I decided I'm going to meet this gentleman because that's what dads do. So I'm hurting pretty bad. I'm barely moving around. I do all that I know to do. I put on my Superman T-shirt. I'm thinking if I can just think it, maybe I could be it, right? And I'm sore. I mean, it cut the front, cut the back. I'm sore. And I go to meet this guy. This guy was sitting on a porch, and he knew that I had surgery. He stood up and he met me. And this thing happens between men, and I don't think girls do this. I think girls just look at each other with disdain, right? Sometimes you're like, sometimes girls do that. Guys measure power now. We don't throw clubs and rocks at each other. We measure power now with the grip of the handshake. Have you ever had a guy like you know, squeeze that and you, you, it's like, remember Hulk, you know, the Hulkamania back in the day, all that stuff? So a guy steps up and he grabs my hand and he shakes it, squeezes as hard as he can. Because, hey, TJ, because I've been expecting you. Because I heard you had back surgery. I heard that you're broken. Something rose up within me, and I squeezed his hand back. I said, oh, my brother, you heard wrong. I said, I feel great. I said, in fact, not only do I feel good, I'm better than I was before. I have titanium in me now. I said, basically, I'm Iron Man. And I squeezed him, and he looked at me. And we had that moment, and he just went like this. And he backed up. Mission accomplished. So I sent my thing, you know, it was very cordial. We never messed there again. I got to the car and I was like, and I just, I collapsed. You got to hold it together with duct tape, bailing wire, whatever you need to, to hold it together, right? How many of you know that people are always trying to define you, put you in a box? In fact, beloved, listen to this. Unless the only person that has the right to define you is the creator. God is the only one that can define you. He's the only one that can tell you who you are, the one that made you. If you do not allow the creator to define you, everybody else that's in your sphere is more than willing to define you. 
The world will define you. Unfortunately, sometimes even the church will define you. And nine times out of ten, we don't define you by who you are now and who God called you to be. We have a tendency to define you by who you used to be. How many of you know you're not that person anymore? You were a sinner saved by grace. Now you are a new creation in Christ. You are not defined by your sin. You are defined by who God says you are. You're now a butterfly. You're not a caterpillar anymore. So we struggle to define ourselves. Isn't it a wonder that people struggle still to define who Jesus is? Back in the day they did that. They still are doing that today. I mean, back in the day, how many times did they ask Jesus, who are you? Remember they tried to reason the stuff? Well, maybe he's Elijah come back. Maybe he's John the Baptist come, you know, come back. Who is he? The world started to try to define Jesus 2,000 years ago, and we're still trying to figure out the world is who Jesus is. Simply put, Jesus is who he says he is. He defined himself. That's the measuring rod. So this whole month we've been looking at understanding who Jesus is to us. Now Jesus did this beautiful thing for us. He defined himself in different ways. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. And it's funny, for every one of those definitions that he gives us, every time you can embrace Jesus through one of the things that he says that he is, we see God in a different way. Like a diamond, the different cut of a diamond. So today, we continue on in our series, and we look at God through one of my, my most favorite descriptions of who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. How many of you like bread? How many of you like garlic bread with cheese on it, fresh out of the oven? Let's pray. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Let's pray. There's something about bread that speaks to me as a Greek. It just speaks to me, and I think it speaks to all of us. What did he mean when he said he was the bread of life? Well, let's figure that out together. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be starting at verse 22. If you have our app, if you pull it up, you get all my sermon notes, you get all the scriptures. If you have the U version of the Bible on your device, if you look for live events, you see Trinity Community Church, you get all my, my stuff again. If you're on Facebook, check in. If you're like me and you've got an old-fashioned word, open that Bible up. Let's discover together who Jesus is when it means to be the bread of life. John 6, 22. The next morning, the crowds were still on the opposite shore of the lake near the place where they had eaten the bread that he had multiplied after he had given thanks to God. Yet Jesus was nowhere to be found. They realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus hadn't boarded. So they concluded that his disciples had left him behind. Verse 24. So when the people saw on the shoreline a number of small boats from Tiberias and realized that Jesus and the disciples weren't there, they got in boats and they went to Capernaum to search for him. That's a good thing. They're looking for Jesus. Jesus said, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. They're on the right path. Verse 25. When they finally found him, they asked him, teacher, how did you get here? Again, knowing that they sought God was a good thing. But Jesus cuts right through the mess, and he sees the motives of their heart. How many of you know that you cannot pull the wool over God's eyes? Isn't it funny? Sometimes some of the stuff we do, we like kind of hide it. Well, you know, God doesn't know. He don't need to know about that. He knows everything. Everything. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. He knows who you are, who you really are, and still he chooses to love you. You don't have to be something fake. He loves you exactly, you know, I love you just the way you are. Come on, old music, hello? They speak truths. Let's keep going. Verse 26, Jesus replied, let, us, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle. 
not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that's perishable and not be passionate about uh, to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? I, the Son of Man, am ready to give you what matters most. For God the Father has destined me for this purpose. Verse 28. They replied, so what should we do if we want to do God's work? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one that he sent. So he sets the bar. He gives them the thing saying, guys, if you want to be a part of what I'm doing, it starts with belief. He throws the gauntlet down. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. We got it. All we got to do is believe and everything's going to be great. Listen to the response of the people. Verse 30. They replied, show us a miracle so we can see it and then we'll believe in you. Moses took care of our ancestors who were fed by the miracle of manna every day in the desert, just like the scripture says, he fed them with the bread from heaven. What sign will you perform for us? Can you imagine they did this to the son of God? Show us a sign, right? Verse 32. The truth is, Jesus said, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. It's my father who offers bread that comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. Verse 33. The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. Then please, sir, give us this bread every day, they replied. Look at verse 35. This is the money verse. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me and you'll never be hungry. Believe in me and you'll never be thirsty. So here we have in this passage, not just the understanding of who Jesus is as the bread of life. You can't understand who Jesus is as the bread of life until you understand where the people he was speaking to are coming from. Have you ever read the Bible and you, you see people in their response to God and you think, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they made a golden calf and were dancing around it. That's crazy stuff. What were these people thinking? Do you know that these people are an adequate representation of us? All of us, like sheep, go astray. You know that, that word all? You know what the Greek word for all is there? It's called panta. You know what that means? Ready for this? All. Not just the dumb ones. All. All of us like sheep, we veer. When we read these stories, this is about us collectively. All of us struggle with things. So again, Jesus starts for us by speaking to us of what we need. He speaks directly to the things that we wrestle with. How many of you know that Jesus loves to meet us in the middle of our need? Sometimes when you're living good and, and you don't have any worries or cares, sometimes we lose, we lose focus on the creator. But Jesus never loses focus on us. He never loses focus on us. He always stays connected to us. And often he'll relate to who he is to us through our struggle. So we start with the struggle. All of us struggle with things. I don't care who you are. All of us have certain struggles. All of us have buttons. All of us have things that we wrestle with. Even Paul said we work out our faith with fear and trembling. What does that mean? If it was easy and you had no problems with anything, anybody could do it. But even Paul said, I don't do what I want to do sometimes, and sometimes I do what I don't want to do. All of us have struggles. For example, we, um, we have this, this, this debate in, in our house. A few of my family members, one of them being young and female, have brought to my attention that perhaps I struggle to understand fashion. It's, it, I know, it's, it's remarkable. I cannot believe, I can't even believe I'm saying it, but this is what she believes. Specifically, 
she struggles with my love for cargo shorts. How many of you have a pair of cargo shorts? All the men. Can I hear an amen? amen. Hello, thank you. What is there not to love about cargo shorts? They're shorts. I heard this, and I don't know if this is true. Mr. Derek Gunn, I heard that you have multiple pairs of cargo shorts, like more than 10. Is that true? That's true. That's true. How many pairs of cargo shorts do you think you have? Seventeen pairs of cargo shorts. And he went to the store to buy more. And he went to the store to buy more. I knew we were a kindred spirit, Derek. I knew we were a kindred spirit. What is there not to love about cargo shorts? You have pockets for anything you could possibly imagine. You could have pockets for money, pockets for tissues, have your eyeglasses, a pocket for snacks. They're the perfect piece of clothing. So we're, we're down at the beach, and we're doing our stuff at the beach, and I got my cargo shorts on, and my daughter's just shaking her head, you know. And we go down there, and, and my, my, my family, they like to enjoy the little games down at the beach, on the boardwalk, and the little quarter games, the skee-ball, all that. You know the, the games I'm talking about? So I go down there, and it's, it's useless for me to put a dollar in the change machine because those things each cost about a dollar. So I put, I put a big dollar. I think I put a $10 bill in that change machine. And I'm there, and all the kids are salivating as they listen to all the quarters come down. And I take that handful. Of, I mean, what do you do with a handful of quarters? You know what you do? You put them in this pocket on the cargo shorts right there. So I walked up to Tori. I said, hey, Tori. And I looked at her, I said this. I said, guess what? I go like this. And I shake like this, and I go like this. And you hear the jingling, I, go, I point, I go, cargo shorts. You can't do this in regular shorts, cargo shorts. And as we're playing games the whole night, kids are reaching into, into, the, into the magic pocket, grabbing the stuff, right? My cargo shorts, they're here to stay. They are. Because let's just be real. If I go to regular shorts, you have to come up with something else to make up for the cargo shorts, like maybe something like, like this. A fanny pack is just a step away from cargo shorts. Now, come on, look at that guy. Do you think that guy has ever worn a fanny pack? Look at that guy. Does anything about that guy say fanny pack? Church ain't even looking at the screen this time. <laughs> Some of you girls are like, he's wearing a fanny pack? I don't understand. What do you mean? He's wearing something? He has a fanny pack on? Can you imagine that? I, I need you to be a model. I'm your guy. What do we need to model? Fanny pack. What? Here's my point. All of us struggle with something. We do. Whether it's fashion or whether it's something a little bit more intense. Here, laid out very clearly in the passage for us, is the struggle that the people have in their connection with God. And beloved, I'm going to tell you this. Their struggle is our struggle. When you read the passage, you can see clearly these people of his day, Jesus' day, struggle with two primary things. First, their approach to God. Second, the awareness of their need. The approach, the awareness of their need. Let's start with the approach. All of us struggle sometimes in how we come to God. For example, you know, sometimes you have a bad day. You have a bad night. You don't do things that, that feed your spiritual soul properly. And what usually happens when you feel like you've blown it? You run as far away from God as possible. You think to yourself, if, once I get my stuff together, then God, I'll come back to you. Even though Hebrews tells us this, Hebrews says that we can come to the throne of God boldly to receive grace when you need it the most. How many of you know when you need it the most doesn't mean that you're on the top of the mountain? But what do we do when we mess up? Well, Lord, let me get my stuff together and then I'll come to you. Our approach is wrong. If you have the wrong approach when it comes to God, Either he's always going to be distant from you, or you're going to have a warped version of what faith should be. Sometimes we even approach God with the wrong spirit. Look what these guys did in John again. 
again, so they ask the question, you know, he's, he, Jesus is bringing them along, and they ask a good question. So what should we do if we want to do God's work? Jesus answers them, and he says, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one that he sent me. End of sentence, everything's done, but it doesn't stop. Look what they say after this. Then they replied, show us a miracle so that we can see it. Then we'll believe in you. Show me first, then I'll follow you. You know what they were doing? They were setting up the conditions of the relationship with God on their terms, not God's terms. Now, thank God, we, 2,000 years removed from stuff like this, have figured this out, and we don't do this anymore, right? God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. There's nobody here that, that like bargains with God, right? God, if you get me out of this one, I will go to the deepest, darkest, I'll go to the ambulance, I'll do whatever you need to do. Just help me pass my DMV test. Lord, if that policeman does not pull me over for speeding, I was doing 90 in a, in a kid zone. If you help me out of this one, I'll take your word to the world. Thank God we don't bargain with God anymore. Thank God we don't try to set the terms of conditions when it comes to our faith. It's easy for us to point to people like that and to say, man, they were so, so off, they were so weird. But beloved, here's the reality. We do this all the time. We ask for signs all the time. We do. Now, it's not bad to ask for signs. Gideon did it. God honored that. He set out fleeces. I get that. God speaks to us sometimes like that because he helps us in our unbelief. He does. But beloved, when you use it in your approach to God and you think that you can bargain with God on those terms, there's something wrong with that. God, if you do this for me, if you, I'll do this for you. Lord, let me help you, help me, help you, help me, help you, help me, help you. When we do that, it's wrong. We serve and we love God on his terms, not on ours. God, if you do this, I'll promise I'll never do it again. God, if you help me pass this test, I promise I'll study next time. All of us have those moments. They usually come out when we don't understand God's will. And what does that come from? Our fear that God really isn't good. If you believe that God is good, then you believe that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I remember um, last night we had the young adults at our house. Nothing makes you feel old. Than, you're older than having people in their 20s and 30s that are way younger than you. And you're like, oh, that's what 35 is. I must be 112. So we had like about 20, 25 young adults at the house last night. And it, we had a good time. We had, we had a fun time. We ate and stuff like that. And I realized I'm just, I'm not as young as I used to be. I know it's shocking. At about 9.30, I mean, we, we started at 6.30. We had a great time. We're eating food. We're playing video games. We're, we're, having, we're laughing. <laughs> at about 9 o'clock, I start looking at my watch going, okay, TJ starts heading up the stairs about 9.30. TJ's about to turn into a pumpkin. At 9.30 hit, and the peoples are still there. 10 o'clock hit, peoples are still, they're just getting started. I'm like, oh, here we go. By 11 o'clock, literally, we had one person left in the house. I climbed up the stairs. I hit my bed, and it was like somebody hit me with a trank dart. Like, you hit rhinos, like out in the wild, and I went straight down. But as we were there, and I was observing people, I remembered these guys were the same age that, that we were when we had our first home group. In our mid-20s, mid-30s, we were part of a great home group of our church in Illinois, and we had our babies together. We saw people growing up. Just a beautiful group, and that's where a lot of our dreams were birthed. Now we're all in our, our 40s and 50s now. 
And I remember one of the dreams that we birthed was uh, with this group of uh, guys here, uh, part of our, our first home group. There's one guy missing. He's taking the picture. Around one of our, um, our home groups, one of the guys goes, hey, we all love going to the outdoors. We should put together a hiking trip. Like a backpack trick, like, you know, like we could backpack, it'll be great. And we said, this will be great. So we're young, we're stupid, nobody knows what they're doing. We decided that night we were going to backpack in the, in the Smoky Mountains. Had no idea how to do it, had no idea what the gear was, but we decided we were going to do this. So we started to plan the date, we planned the date, got all the gear. I went on eBay and I found the biggest pack I could find. Weight, was, I didn't care about weight, I needed the biggest one. Why? Because the bigger the pack, the more food you could take. Because what's a Greek's biggest fear? That we'll starve to death. We will. So I got my big pack. This is how dumb we were. There were eight of us. Um, we packed an eight-man tent to hike in the, in the Rocky Mountain. Our tent was like 60 pounds. Just a tent. So we got all of our stuff together. We went up there. We had no idea of elevation. We had no idea of distances. We didn't train. Why do you need to train? We're young. We're, we, we're invincible. We'll figure this out. So we get out there, and I remember the first day we, we went. It was two miles, and the elevation change was 2,000 feet. So basically, we climbed up a hill for two miles, untrained. I remember getting to the top of this hill. One of my buddies, Bill Dean, was with me. Bill was a little bit older. We didn't know this, but at that time, he actually had an enlarged heart because of the trip. We didn't know. He got to the top of the mountain. He goes, man, I don't feel good. I said, well, can you describe what you're feeling? He goes, no. He goes, I'm seeing a bright light, and I think I see Jesus. And I said, Bill, normally I would tell you to go to the light. But I'm telling you, don't go to the light because I'm not dragging your body off this mountain. You better figure it out because I'm not dragging you off this. Don't go to the light. You stay right here with us. He stayed and he lived. So we, we started walking, and, and every day that we walked on that mountain, we, I started to trade adventure and happiness for survival, and God, get me out of this. Have you ever had that? In fact, every night I'd get done, and I'd, I'd roll out my sleeping bag. I'd lay on the hard ground, and I'd look up at the stars, and me and Jesus would have a conversation. Do you ever have a conversation with Jesus like this? I'd sit down and say, Lord... It's me. Obviously, this was not one of my best decisions because I think I'm going to die. But somehow, if you can get me out of this mess, I promise two things, Lord. I will never hike a mountain again. And two, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Send me to, to South America. I'll go. Send me to Africa. I'll go. Send me to Hawaii. I'll go. Anything you want, God. And you know what? God sustained me on that trip. And I got home and everything was great. But I did this thing that most of us do. I forgot all the promises that I made on the mountain. Have you ever forgotten all the promises you made on the mountain? I hiked again, and God saved me every time I hiked. And all those promises to go to wherever, I mean, they are what they are. You know, I kind of forgot. And I thought that made me unique. But you know what's funny? Um, forgetting how God has interacted with us doesn't make me unique. It makes me human. Have you ever wondered why God beat into the children of Israel? Remember, 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 remember. The festivals help you to remember. Tell it to your children and have them tell it to their children. Because we forget. And when you forget, you know what you have to do? You have to go from sign to sign to sign to sign. From struggle to sign, from struggle to sign. That's the cycle that we have to break out of. Oh God, help me. Please give me a sign. How we approach the God of the universe is very important. As believers, we have to move beyond. God, what can you give me? It's not about what you get from God. God is not a cosmic vending machine. He's not. 
Why does God do the miraculous for us? Have you ever asked that question? Why does God do miracles? Doesn't have to. Why does he do it? He does it to honor his heart with the understanding this, that he is good. He heals to remind us that he loves us deeply. He moves in power to remind us that he has a plan and purpose, not just for you, but for everybody else that's around you. So he shows up in power. He blows us away. He does amazing things if we let him. Our approach to God's a pretty big deal. He created us. He's a purpose for us. He's committed to giving us what we need, not just what we want. So we continue to ask God. We continue to ask him, but all of our requests have to be framed the way that Jesus framed his requests. You remember Jesus in the garden? Hours before agony, he prays, and he prays this in Luke twenty two forty two. He says this. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He understood what was coming up, guys. He understood the path that he was going down. We celebrate the cross now. Jesus understood what the cross meant. So he said, God, if you can take this cup from me, take it. But the verse doesn't stop there. He says this, yet not my will, but yours be done. How can he pray that prayer? He understands that God is good, and he understands that God's purposes in the long run are greater than anything that you and I can experience or believe. That has to be our approach. God, I'd really love you to, for you to do this. I'd really love you for you to heal this person. I'd really love for you to meet this. I'd really love to experience your provision. But if this does not fit into your overall plan, not my will be done, but your will be done. When's the last time you prayed that way? God, let your will be done in my life. I would love to do all this stuff, God, but God, above all of those things, let your will be done in my life. That's the approach we need to have. We've got to move from being self-focused to selfless. Second, we move from, fo- uh, from approach to awareness. When we talk about awareness, what are we talking about? Most of us struggle with self-awareness. We struggle to know really where we are and we struggle to know really what we need. We think we know what we need, but in reality, we don't even really have a clue. For example, when you're hungry, what is your go-to to grab when you're hungry? Now, being a diabetic, you know, every once in a while, my sugar drops. So if your sugar drops, what do you usually do to get your sugar up? You eat you some sugar. My father-in-law was a master at this. He was a diabetic too, and his sugar would drop, and he'd say, he said, oh, my sugar drops, I need something. I either need a candy bar or a peanut buster parfait, just to get his sugar up. You know a peanut buster parfait is from Dairy Queen. It's like that big. It's got 13 pounds of, of, of ice cream and, and hot fudge. That's what I need to get my sugar up. Well, can you do it with an apple? Nope. Can't do it with an apple. Can't do it with grapes. I need a peanut buster parfait. Okay, Dad. When my sugar drops, you know, do I grab the candy or do I grab an orange or something to get the sugar out? I guess we think we know what we need, but sometimes we don't know what we need. I know what I want. You know what you want, don't you? Sometimes what you want and what you need are two different things. When it comes to spiritual things, the only way for you and I to fully know what we need is to allow the Holy Spirit to search us, to lead us, and to reveal to us the things that we need. God gave us the Holy Spirit to help us. 
He's not an add-on to the Trinity. He is something that is essential if you want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, if you want to walk in God's love, presence, and power. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, you hear that? Bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you. Some of you have got to move from sign to sign because you forget. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's not operating in your life. He helps you to remember. Romans 8, 26 says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't even know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us. Everybody say us. The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Sometimes the Spirit prays through us. Sometimes the Spirit through us prays for us. Why? Because we don't even know what we need. The Holy Spirit shows us what we need. If you, want to be a, if you want to be spiritually aware of your true condition, you have got to allow the Holy Spirit to search you and to reveal to you what you need. We are masters in not knowing what the real problem is. I remember a few years ago, I had tooth pain. Is there anything worse than tooth pain? It's awful. You can't do anything. So I had a tooth that was hurting like right here in the front, two teeth in the front. So I go to the dentist. I said, man, I got tooth pain. You know, can you help me? He goes, absolutely. So I get in a chair, and he gets the two sharpest things he could find in the office to stick in my mouth, which I love. You know what I mean? Can somebody develop one of these that's not as painful? And he's poking around in there. He goes, I found the problem. He goes, the problem is right here. And he points to a tooth in the back. I said, no, doc, that's not the problem. The pain's right here. He goes, I understand. He goes, but the true problem is the tooth in the back. I said, no, it hurts right here. He goes, let me teach you something, because there's a thing called referred pain. He says, sometimes teeth over here will send pain to another area. You think that's the problem, but it's not. So then he took that little pick with the sharp thing on it. He goes, let me know, how does this feel? And he goes to the back and he touches it. And I go, ah, like you know what I'm talking about? And I said, whoop, there it is. You got it. You found it. So I said, okay, I'm going to trust you on this because I don't want to die and I'm tired of the pain. He goes, let me deal with that tooth. He goes, and the other, the other pain will go away. He dealt with that tooth and guess what? The pain up here went away after he dealt with the thing here. Why? He's a dentist. He knew where the pain was coming from. The Spirit operates like that in us. Sometimes things happen, they, they happen in us, guys, and we think we know what our problem is, but we don't. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can, can come and do surgery on us to show us what the, we're, what the real problem is. Now, here's the trick. You have to be willing to trust the Holy Spirit, to trust God to deal with the real issues. So he messes and helps us to have the proper approach to God, and he gives us awareness to know what the problems really are. So here's a question. How is your approach to God? Is your approach to God, God, not my will, but yours be done? Or is your relationship with God built on your terms? God, what are you going to do for me? Shut your eyes just for a second. Allow the Holy Spirit to just to speak to you right now. Guys, the Bible says his sheep hear his voice. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Ask him, say, Holy Spirit, will you show me how I'm approaching you? Am I approaching you in the right way? Or do you need to shift things in me? And just listen to what he says. Now, here's the beauty of our Savior. If you heard a voice that was like, you stink, you're this, you're that, blah, 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 that's not God. 
The Holy Spirit does not condemn, he convicts. He speaks to us and he puts us in a path to help us to be who he created us to be. He's not there to destroy us and throw us away. Why? Because he loves you. How do we believe that? Because we know the little things, God is good. His agenda is not to destroy you. It's to love you for all eternity. Let that sink in. He loves you so much where you are, he wants to be with you for all eternity. So we start with our approach. We talk about being aware. We start with the struggle. You can't understand Jesus as the bread of life until you understand the human struggle. All of us struggle. So then he moves through this because you can't have a solution without a problem, right? You can't solve world hunger if you're not hungry. So he shows us the struggle. Now he starts to give us the solution, who he is. So God's there to walk us through the struggle. And then he takes us to where the money is. This is John 6.32. Look at the rest of the passage. He says this in the solution. The truth is, Jesus said, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. It's my father who offers the bread. It comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. So he lays it down for the people. Then he continues. Then please, sir, give us this bread. Every day they replied. Here's the money verse. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me and you'll never be hungry. Believe in me and you'll never be thirsty. He lays down right in front of them the solution to the deeper problem. The deeper problem isn't just temporary food that he feeds in an afternoon after he teaches. It's life-sustaining food, the Word of God, that's there to help you to be the person that he created you to be. If you want to experience real life, it's more than physical food. Life is more than stuff. It's more than the pursuit of stuff. You need to get connected to the source. Jesus is the source, the bread of life, the true source to life. And he's saying this, everything else flows from him. So then he gives us this thing that's just nuts. The God of the universe gives us a divine invitation. Think about this. Come to me every day. Now, what's interesting here, again, the word there to come, if you read some of the translations, New Living, King James, it doesn't say every day. Every day is missing. Every day is important here. This is the Passion Translation. The reason we're reading is because it gets very close to the Greek. That word come isn't a one-time thing. It's come and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. That's what he's saying. Keep coming to me. I'm the bread of life. Keep coming to me. I'm the bread of life. Keep coming to me. I'm the bread of life. Because sometimes we forget that Jesus is our daily bread. Sometimes we forget that he's our daily pursuit. Sometimes we frame our faith as a one-time event. Remember the day I got saved? The day you got saved, you didn't cross the finish line. You began a race. Your journey started on the day you gave your heart to Christ. But sometimes we frame that as being the end point. I'm going to say something. Everybody say, Pastor TJ. I'll say it like you love me. Pastor TJ. Say, we love you because Jesus said we had to. Okay, you love me, right? Jesus did not call us to get people just to say prayers. He called us to make disciples. There is a difference. This is more than standing on a street corner and getting somebody to say a prayer. If we do that and we don't get people involved into a house of faith, we do the gospel a disservice. We create people that think everything's okay. I made the decision at one time and I don't have to do anything else in my life to change. Beloved, that is not the gospel. 
That's not the good news. That's why we have people all around the world that call themselves Christians, but they don't live like it. They don't embody who Christ was. And what does that create for our world? You know what it creates? Confusion. But you said you're a Christian, but, but you do this, this, and this, and you don't do this, this, this. I don't understand. I think sometimes Jesus is in heaven going, oy vey. How clear can it be? Go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. I was talking with my youngest son yesterday. He was talking with somebody on TikTok. He's one of these influencer people. And he was debating with a girl who said, she says she does not believe that the Holy Spirit belongs in the Godhead. There's nothing in the Word about the Holy Spirit being part of anything. And I was like, well, Matthew 28, 19. Go into all the world make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. She's like, yeah, but that's different. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's right there. Beloved, we're called to make disciples. We're called to engage people like that. Coming to God is not a one-time event. You need to partake of the bread of life every day. You ever wondered why Jesus referred to himself as bread, as food? Have you ever thought about food? I think about food often. Every day, in fact. In fact, 3 o'clock every day at the well, I think about ice cream. My ice cream every day. Have you ever thought about food? Why did Jesus refer to himself as food? This is what food is. Food is something that provides nutrients. Nutrients are substances that provide energy for activity, growth, and all of the functions of the body. That's the definition of food. In short, food gives you energy to grow and to function. Bread, delicious bread, garlic, cheese, bread gives you energy to grow and to function. Jesus, the bread of life, gives you spiritual energy to grow, to function, to be who you're supposed to be spiritually. When you partake of God every day, it feeds who you are spiritually. John 6, 27, again, Jesus' words, we just read it. Why would you strive for food that's perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? I, the Son of Man, am ready to give you what matters most, for God the Father has destined me for this purpose. Some of you struggle in your spiritual life to have growth and have energy to be the person that God created you to be because you are not partaking of the bread of life every day. I'm not talking about communion. Communion is part of it. I'm talking about filling yourself, immersing yourself with the bread of life. So how do we practically partake of this bread of life? Get your nose in the book. Read the Word. Study the Word. Consume the Word. There's no reason nowadays, guys, for us not to be in the book, to have spiritual understanding. How many of you have a, the U version of the Bible on your phone or your iPad or some app? If you're on the U version of the Bible, there's a billion different devotionals on there. Get on a devotional or two or three. Get a devotional book. Get your nose in the book. Grow. Listen to sermons. Listen to podcasts. I drive my kids nuts. We get in the car. I'm always listening to a sermon or a podcast or something like that. Why? I'm feeding my spiritual man. Pray. Spend time with the Lord. He is the daily bread. Don't miss a day. Stay consistent with him every day. Little things. Once you do that, you'll see your spiritual energy rise. Every time I talk to people and they're struggling, if they're struggling with their faith, they're struggling with, with who Jesus is to them, so the first thing I ask them is, when's the last time you've had your nose in the book? 
Do you read the Word every day? Do you spend time with God every day? Nine times out of ten, nope. And that other person, that other percent, they're usually lying. Oh, I'm with God 12 hours a day. If you were, we wouldn't be talking about this. Get your nose in the book. He is your daily bread. And then he takes it to another thing. He says, then he starts to talk about the other thing that we need. He talks about our thirsts. He says, if you believe, you'll never be thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty before? We were down at Rehoboth last week, and, and somebody had told us about an ice cream place down at Rehoboth called Royal Treat. Have you ever been to Royal Treat? It's like an old, old-time ice cream parlor. Just let that settle into your heart. Ice cream, old school, I mean, great. So I'm in this ice cream thing, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know why, just because it's old school, I, I correlate in my head old school ice cream parlors with banana splits. So I said, give me a banana split. And let me tell you something. I, so I, I sat down with the banana split. I had my spoon. As, I took, as the first bit touched my lips, the heavens opened up. <laughs> I saw spiritual activity. Activity, I did. So we had been at the beach all day. I'm eating the ice cream, and I'm, I'm parched. Because this isn't about the ice cream. You know the ice cream is amazing. I'm parched. So I have this, this ceramic water container there. So I go up and get my little cup up to get a little bit of water. And I don't know if it's the ceramic part of it. I don't know if it's the water that they pulled. I don't know what they did. And I, I get me a little glass, and I, and I drink this water. And it is the perfect temperature. It's ice cold. And it is the most refreshing cup of water I've ever had in my life to this day. It was so amazing. I came back to the table. I said, this is the greatest water I've ever had. And my kids are like, oh, just shut up. I'm like, I'm telling you. this is." The I went up and I got another glass. And it, it affected me so much as I'm walking past and by tables. I'm like, have you had the water? Have you tried the water? It's free. Didn't I do that? <laughs> it's free. You should go get you some water. In fact, I sold the water so much, they ran out. They're like, we don't, there's like a line by the water. Me. I did that. Me. They should give me money for that, right? I did that. I couldn't get another glass. They took it all up. I don't know if it was because of the beach. I don't know if it was because of the ice cream. I don't know what it was, but the water was amazing. When you find those things that quench your thirst, oh, there's nothing like it. Now, for us as humans, water is kind of important. 60% of you is made up of water. In fact, you know, health experts will tell us this. You can live without food for, for a pretty long time. Some of us longer than others, and I'm just going to leave that right there. But water, you got about three days. If you don't have water for about three days, you start to check out. Because water is that essential to your system. Your body uses water in all of its cells and its organs and its tissues. It helps to regulate temperature and maintain all of your body functions. Now, the important thing about you and I drinking water is this. I don't know if you know this or not, but all of the systems that you use when it comes to water, they all leak. When you breathe, you breathe out water. When you do other things, you leave water. When you move around and you sweat, like me, if you're a sweatopotamus, when you sweat, you lose water. So that means this, you have to constantly be replenishing the fluids that, that, that you leak. All of the activities that you do as, as a human make you leak water. Jesus likens belief in him to not being thirsty. So what was he saying? Belief, faith, leaks. Your understanding of who God is and functioning from that belief understanding means that you leak. The water inside of you, the spirit inside of you, the belief inside of you leaks to others. It does. It's how it flows. The Spirit is always flowing through us. The Spirit is a fountain inside of us. John 7, 38 says this, believe in me. 
so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, from your innermost being, just like the Scripture says. Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit that believers were being prepared to receive, but the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon them because Jesus had not yet been unveiled in his full splendor. What does it mean for us to believe? It means that we believe that Jesus can do the things that he says he can do. If you believe that Jesus can do the stuff that he says he can do, then you have to believe that you are also the person that God says that you are. And my Bible tells me this. When he looked at us, he said, greater things than what I did will you do. How many of you know Jesus did some pretty amazing things? Do you know that it's heart, the heart of God for God to do those same things and even more through you? Spiritual leaking. God created us to leak. Believing that you can be the person that God says that you are. Moving God's kingdom forward. You and I cannot do that if we aren't eating the bread of life every day and allowing the Holy Spirit to replenish our faith, our belief, so that we can leave deposits of who he is everywhere we go. Do you know that everywhere you go, you leave a part of yourself? You leak everywhere you go. What are you leaving? What are you leaving with people? Are you leaving parts of the Spirit? Are you leaving the heart of the kingdom? Are you leaving the heart of Christ? Or are you leaving other things? The bread of life. He offers it all to us today. So do me a favor, bow your heads for a second. We've talked about the approach, how we approach God. And if the Holy Spirit spoke some things to you about how your approach to God is, listen to him and just do it. Walk out what he's asking you to do. But I want to I finish with this one thought. When you look at your life as a disciple, does your faith have energy? Are you growing in the power of the Spirit? Is the world around you affected by the God that lives inside of you? Are you a pond or are you a river? Are things flowing in and flowing out? Or are you just a dead pond where nothing is happening? If your faith it's stale and it's stagnant and it's dead. There's something's wrong because that's not the, the faith. That's not abundant life. That's not what Jesus promised. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask him, say, Holy Spirit, will you show me where my faith is? Will you show me if my, my belief in you, if my understanding of who I am in you has traction, has energy? Am I growing in faith, Lord, or am I stuck? And if you're stuck, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you're stuck, and how to walk with him closer. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.